Welcome to Business Leaders Podcast. We're here live at Caliber MD's office in Boulder, Colorado. I'm your host, Bob Rourke, and today on Business Leaders Podcast, where we have Elizabeth Murawski, PhD. We're going to take in chat with her about her business. But, you know, circling back to the podcast, we interview some of the best and brightest business owners and entrepreneurs in and around the state of Colorado. We talk about the ins and outs of running a business and being an entrepreneur. You can think of this as your back-of-the-napkin MBA taught by the top business leaders and entrepreneurs in the state of Colorado, the folks that are doing it and not talking about it every day. We talk about what to do and, as importantly, what not to do about growing, running, or starting a business. So we're incredibly fortunate. Elizabeth has taken time out of her day to visit with us. She is running the entire operation at the moment. It's Elizabeth Mirowski, Ph.D., and at Caliber, MD, the strategy is to transform medical imaging from a simple diagnosis of a lesion to an exact diagnosis of what disease is present, at what stage, and to what extent in the body it is occurring. Their superior imaging standards certify the accuracy in imaging biomarkers to reduce unnecessary repeat scans and variability in diagnoses from one health center to another. They focus on making their standards easily adoptable for widespread implementation. Elizabeth, thanks so much for taking time. It's my pleasure, and thank you for having me. You bet. So th this is going to be somewhat technical to start with. So Caliber MD starts with a Q, A-L-I-B-R-E. Yes. So for folks that are looking for Caliber, that's how you spell it. Yeah. So tell me about Caliber. So Caliber MD is a recent spinoff of uh parent company. We spun off of high precision devices because we were medically focused and we realized that it was a very different market from what the parent company was doing. And we needed to ramp up our efforts to meet uh, what we see as the need and demand uh, for radiologists to, to have more exact um, results in their diagnoses. And so we are actually also uh, in the process of raising funds to be able to uh, move quickly with the market. You know, and as folks are going, okay, what was the need that Caliber MD started to solve or the problem it started to solve? So there's a movement in the radiology community to become more quantitative. And so what you think about when you think about radiology, it's basically a picture of what's going on in your body. And those pictures vary as you go from one MRI scanner to another, and they can vary from day to day. It still gives you a reasonably good picture of your body, but if you really want to do something quantitative, like watch how much a tumor is growing or reducing in size when you're taking treatment, it doesn't do very well um, unless you implement some standard, some ground truth, value that lets you know that, for example, if you think about a picture and you have colors, right? Your shirt right now is blue, mine is orange. Well, if we switched them and yours was, you know, orange and blue, it's that whole dress issue uh, that was in the media for a long time. Is it a blue dress or a gold dress, right? Mm -hmm. Well, in that case, they tweaked the numbers uh, of what the colors looked like and produced a totally different result. And that, that can happen in MR. But if you put in basically a blue that says that blue is blue, then you can start relating everything off of that particular value or number or truth. Yeah, it's basically, you know, you see anybody that does a weighing on a scale, you zero for tear before you weigh. 
Yes. And, you know, and you think about, you know, and for most of us, and me in particular on the MRI, I don't think I've ever been exposed to an MRI. Didn't need to be, as far as I know. And so, you know, you assume an MRI is an MRI. But the reality is, is they're not. Because you could have an MRI on the East Coast and an MRI on the West Coast, and their zero is not the same. Yes. And so exactly. how did Caliber MD get involved? Did they develop this technology themselves? No, we, we developed it jointly with the larger radiology community, the International Society for Magnetic Resonance in Medicine, and the Radiological Society of North America. And also, uh, an important player in this is the National Institute of Standards and Technology, as you can see in their name, Standards. Uh, things that are re related back to NIST uh, give you a very good, well-known ground truth value. It's the zero. It's a true zero on that tear of that scale that you're looking at. You know, and so for in the MRI world, so what, you know, for the, for the consumer, you know, let's say you're a consumer that has a tumor of some description. You know, contrast, if you would, the before use of your technology, perhaps to after adoption of your technology and what the consumer could expect on the outcome of the information. So one of the things that you would see change is the ability for you to go to any MRI in the health system that you're in, the one closest to your house, or if you want to travel somewhere and get it done slightly further away and send it to the radiologist. With our technology, those will come back the same, and therefore you won't have to do a repeat scan. You won't get a misdiagnosis. You won't get two diagnoses. Right, So if you go and get a second opinion, that second opinion is, is related to the fact that the image data comes back slightly differently. It'll always be the same image data. Whereas the contrast is if you went to MRIA and they go, your tumor has not gotten bigger. And you conceivably could go to MRIB and because of it's not being zeroed or maybe slightly different than A, you could say it's either grown or shrunk. Yes. Whether that's true or not, is in question. It's in question because you can make that MRI image look different, which changes the size simply by the parameters that you choose to acquire the image by. And so, yeah, you this would enable volumetric analysis, seeing what the size of that tumor is more accurately. And so in today's day and age, you know, even I've had maybe four or five different payers uh, and have been in four or five different health systems in the past 15 years. And so every time I go to a new place, I would have to get all of the, all of the image data taken again. And, in, and because they would say, well, that stuff was taken at a different facility. We can't look at it. We can't read it. And so we'll will allow people to be able to do different payer systems and have that data be the same regardless of where they're getting their you know, image. And I, and I think about the confusion that sows you know, between the care provider and the consumer. You know, I don't really know what you have. And we have to start all over again. You can't see progression yeah. at all. You know, and, and we talked about we have some of the devices on the table here. And for the folks that are going to look at the video, I think, you know, I, I'm amazed uh, one of them looks like something from a Star Wars deal. Uh, <laughs> and the other two, well, they look like what they're designed to do. And so let's talk a little bit about the two 
Well, actually, there's three devices that you have here. There, this this one's actually one together. One together. We put okay. it onto one plate. Um, it's specifically designed to fit into breast imaging coils. Okay. And so it's for characterizing how well this particular device was developed to characterize how well uh, tumor volume is assessed uh, in the in breast tissue, and it's specifically for a clinical trial that is looking to try to. Uh, graduate or um, develop new drugs to treat breast cancer, to reduce the size of the tumor um, to the point that when you extract it, you actually maintain as much of the breast as possible um, and, and can do a minimally invasive surgery at that point. And so in order to know whether or not this drug is effectively uh, killing the tumor, um, you need to be able to have uh, a well-known ground truth value that tells you this is what your machine is reading today. And so therefore the error that you have on your volume assessment of your tumor is less than 2%. You know, and I, and I think about the, we were talking about the regimen for when you go in for um, mammographies. So you go to the physician, get a mammography ordered, you go in and get your mammogram. Then the fun starts if they find something. Yes. You know, and then they try to assess and then there's the biopsy. And then there's, I forget what's after that. But in, in these particular devices, you know, there's more going on here than just the shape. Yeah. Because but what you were talking about is the materials that are inside here and what they replicate. And let's dig into that a little bit. Yeah, sure. So what we've developed with uh, this product is a fat tissue mimic, and it mimics human fat tissue. So one of the issues when you do breast imaging is that the fat can really obscure what you see in the image data and your ability to measure tumor size. So you need to be able to subtract that out. And so we've provided something in this particular uh, device to be able to have people test how well their subtraction works in uh, that image data. And then we also have... Um, uh, other elements that we developed that mimic how much water diffuses in the body. So when you think about a tumor starting to grow, when it first starts to grow, there's a whole bunch of cells growing. And so it's very, very dense. And at that point, water actually diffuses slower. And so you can measure that with the MRI. And then as it becomes, uh, as it grows and becomes edematous, which is typically later stages of cancer, edema is a water. There's mm -hmm. too much water in the cells. And so you start to see the diffusion of water go much more quickly uh, in the body. And so you can stage cancer using how much, um, a measurement of how much water is diffusing in that cell. And so when, so when you get a diffusion measurement, so for the, the physician or the radiologist is you get a mathematical representation Yes, you get a mathematical representation of where your stage of tumor is. And then you can, so sometimes what you'll see in anatomy too is uh, when that cancer tumor starts to die, it doesn't mean that the whole volume gets smaller. You have that da damaged dead tissue that's still there. And so in that case, you can also identify that based off of water diffusion. And so then you can start to tell if you have an effect, even if it hasn't shrunk yet. Yes, exactly. You know, and, and I think about, you know, folks... If they're out there going like, I'm beginning to get in the weeds on the science. You know, in, in layman terms, what we were talking about before we started the show is the evolution 
between current mammograms and treatment and biopsy and all this other stuff to what would be basically could go in with a calibrated machine and eliminate or at least reduce a great deal of that whole trail of treatment. Mm-hmm. The variability, definitely reduce it all and and give a patient a better diagnosis. You know, for, for anybody that's had cancer in their family, which I understand, is, what is it, one in six or one in four Americans will either have it in their family or somebody they know? Yes. So that's mm-hmm. effectively everybody. Yeah. You know, and, and it's been in my family, it's been in your family. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for we, we focused a little bit on the mammogram side, but for the guys in the prostate space. Yeah, we actually have a device um, specifically tailored to uh, evaluate prostate imaging techniques. And so when you think about right now what the process is, is uh, you have an elevated PSA and one that's suspicious. So then a prostate biopsy ensues, and that can be 14 needles that randomly um, assess, they take samples of the prostate. And so you don't really see the whole picture. You just see wherever that needle went. Um, And there's a lot of problems with that technique. I mean, it's invasive. Uh, People oftentimes will get um, infections as a result of that. And so our uh, device is meant to use, again, so water diffusion, watch water diffusion in the prostate, and you can then see the whole prostate and monitor it over time without having to do a needle biopsy. Um, we're in the stages of, of trying to prove that we can do that by still having the, the sampling of the tissue and then correlate it to the MRI image data. And once we can get that to be consistent enough where we can get a number from the um, MRI that's consistent with prostate cancer of a specific stage, then we could reduce how many biopsies um, are needed. You know, I, th- I think about, you know, the old comment said, you know, there's a lot of guys past 80 that will have prostate. You'll die with it, not from it. Yes. You know, and, and there's also the other version. That's the fast growing that'll kill you for sure. And, you know, the, I think there's probably some level of resistance, to, you know, with the notion, well, let's say it's 14 needles for a biopsy. And if your toes don't start to point toward each other, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> you know, and, and you think about that as a, an impediment to get treatment. You know, yes. and, and I think about what you're talking about is, is an enabler for more folks to feel more comfortable about getting you know, the diagnosis and getting checked, you know, and, and guys, when, and, and ladies, when we're looking at these devices, what you may not be able to see is inside this particular device here. I can't lift this thing over here. Um, what you don't see is there's some, I have to get that close enough for the folks that are watching on the video. You can see there's different colors inside. That's your, your fat mimic, mm-hmm. which you're patenting as well. Yes, we have uh, submitted a utility patent on that and we're awaiting. Uh, and so that'll be your standardization piece for there. And, and theoretically, if every MRI was to use this on day one, that all theoretically, once they're done, they'd all be in at least in tolerance. Yes. And so theoretically, you could go from MRA to MRI B and get similar readings across the country. Yes. And that's the idea if also you have compliance, which is um, making sure that they use the correct protocols. Um, Because MRIs can have a a whole slew of different protocols that you can use. So for for the folks that don't know what a protocol in an MRI is, what's a protocol? Well, so it's, for the simple way, it's it's the knobs and how, where you turn the knobs on the machine to be able to get that image. You have, you know, maybe 10 or 15 different knobs that you can Mm -hmm. change on that. 
And so if, you know, one site has them set to one, uh, two, three, and four, and five, and then another set, uh, site has it set to five, four, three, two, one, mm-hmm. you're going to get a different answer. Sure. And so part of it is, um, along with our product, is giving the sites the best possible protocol for breast imaging, for example, and the best possible protocol that you can use for prostate imaging. You know, I, I just think about, you know, and we talked about beforehand is, you know, data, random data is just noise. And we were talking about signal to noise, mm-hmm. you know, and I think, you know, for a lot of these machines and so on, that if you could get, you know, the standardization like you're talking about, then it cuts down on the noise and you could actually tell signal. Where are most of these devices found right now? Right now they're at the top research hospitals in the U.S. and throughout the world. Um, so if you, you know, if you were to type in and look at Newsweek and see who the top hospital and research institutions are, mm-hmm. we would pretty much be at all of those. And so at this juncture, you know, the, the, the local hospital, unless it's a research, is unlikely to be employing this particular... Correct. And part of that is because we don't have uh, uh, the exacting protocol that we would like them to use. So you're we st- are in the process of developing them for specific um, cases, like uh, there's neuroimaging for so imaging of the brain, and there's several different types of brain ailments that are out there that you can image, and which one, which protocol is best for which disease is yet to be determined. And so we went on the brain, and we have this large round object, which doesn't look like it's heavy. But it is. (laughs) But that thing's probably 10 pounds, 12 pounds. Yeah. And it looks like a very colorful Death Star. (laughs) But each one, you know, there's there's all these spheres inside this sphere. Mm -hmm. So talk a little bit about the construct of this thing and why it is like it is. Uh, so it's shaped the way it is because it's meant to fit into head coils. Okay. Um, and it's all it's has 14 different spheres of different colors. You can see green, blue, and then the red, and then the yellow. And each one of those contain a different solution that gives you a different number that you should read on the MRI. So there's 42 different numbers. And when you get those all correctly done and you want to look into the brain and go beyond imaging just the anatomy and you want to start relating numbers to a tumor that you see in there, this is what you use. So this is the calibration. This is the calibration. Because these are standard and they don't change. Right. And so it tells you how much error from the machine there is so that when you then put the human in there, you can say that my machine isn't the one that's causing this number to be so high Mm -hmm. or so low. And so either you can tweak the machine to get the number proper or you learn to adjust the numbers that you get after the reading from the standard. From this, yeah. You know, and, and I think about folks are going MRI, and I didn't dig into that too very far. An MRI is just um, maybe a quick description so folks can get comfortable with what the MRI is. So at the, the high level, it produces an image of your body. And it shows you, you know, your, your soft tissue. It can show you some bone structure um, and basically tells you this is what your body looks like on the inside. Um, the way you get that image is by using a high magnetic field. And what you're looking at is your body is filled with water. And water chemically has two different atoms in it. It has a hydrogen atom and an oxygen atom. And specifically what MRI does is look at the hydrogen atom in your body. And so that hydrogen atom 
has a signal that it sends out when you're healthy and it has a different signal when it, that it sends out when you're not healthy. And so it kind of tells you what the environment locally in your body looks like. So you can see the image data. Okay, there I see a tumor in my brain. And then the question is, is that tumor growing or is it uh, dying? What's going on with that? Well, you can't tell right now. But the idea is that when you assign numbers, you can see whether part of the tumor is dying, whether it's growing. So if you're undergoing treatment and you want to know how well your treatment is doing, you could use MRI to stage that treatment and basically help you get feedback faster, which is really important when you think about cancer and how quickly cancer can grow. That knowledge of knowing whether something is working quickly is, is very important and crucial. You know, shifting gears a little bit, we talked uh, before the show about going from PhD type to entrepreneur. Tell me a little bit about that thought process and journey. Yeah, so I uh, spent a lot of time working in the lab. I got my PhD and then um, proceeded to work in the lab in a small business um, startup in Longmont. Um, I spent actually two years at the National Institute of Standards and Technology doing my postdoctoral work there. And one of the things that I, um, I learned as I went to NIST uh, is that I, I liked the fact that it's under the Department of Commerce. And so what they're doing is related to what industry is doing. Uh, my PhD thesis was on a subject matter that I don't think I will see realized as a product in my lifetime. Um, and so I felt I really wanted something more. And so when I went to NIST, I, I felt good about the fact that I was doing more that was industry related. And then I started to figure out that I, I really was interested in business and really making products work and making things sustainable and jobs and understanding accounting. And I mean, pretty much the whole gamut of Did you of it. have any of that? In your course pursuit. I did not. I, I didn't have any of it, which is, you know, is interesting. And I had thought about, you know, well, should I go back for an MBA? But then I realized um, I didn't want to do more schooling. Uh, <laughs> Imagine that. After, you know, after a PhD, it's a lot of schooling. And then also I just uh, find myself really thinking creatively outside the box. So I, I, I gravitate towards the startup, the, uh, the initiation of an idea, then taking it to product form, and that's where I thrive um, emotionally, and that's where I, I find myself being happy. You know, it's you know, folks. I, you know, folks have impressions of PhDs. You know, and I don't know if Einstein comes to mind or not. But we were talking <laughs> just before the show, and said some of your hobbies. You like to bow hunt. Yes. You like to fish. Yep. <laughs> climb. Anything outdoorsy. I have a, a big nature side. I think a lot of people would notice that. Um, all of my friends would say, you're outside. If you're not inside, you're outside. Um, so Words to live by, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I think about, you know, you were talking about the creative process. And maybe, you know, when, when you were looking at this as a problem, take us to the thought process that led to the creation of some portion of this. Back in 2007, the larger radiology community got together and said, you know, MRI, we need to improve it. We need to improve what we get out of this MRI. It has so much more potential. And what we're seeing is, you know, variability in diagnosis. We're seeing um, increased um, repeat scans that don't need to be done. And it's costing the healthcare system a lot. And so that was sort of the inception point of it. 
And being here in Boulder, Colorado, and fairly close to the National Institute of Standards and Technology, we uh, were lucky enough to be able to do the very first prototype that was jointly designed by the larger community, the International Society for Magnetic Resonance Medicine and the Radiological Society of North America, um, and to commercialize that. And so we learned a lot in this um, prototyping. Uh, you have to make this product MRI compatible, so there's no metals. You know, and, and we started off as a machine shop um, doing a lot of stuff with metals. And so in this case, it was how do you get plastics you know, that are also going to hold this chemistry that's in there for a, for a long enough time. And so building all of that um, was something that we contributed to it. Uh, significantly, and and that's kind of where that started. And then we continued to go down, and for the breast standard, we ended up uh, applying for a small business innovation research grant, and we won that. Um, and we went through phase one and phase two, and we now have a product that we're selling to the market. And we're still looking to um, continue our sort of grant work through the NIH, um, and National Institute of Health. National Institute of Health, and to try to to try to uh, really hone in on that application and what protocols people should use, um, what's the best methodology for you to implement our standards, and then apply that to the patient. You know, and, and you think about so you know the colors are not just the colors. You know, so you have all the chemical compositions, and then you know you, you talked about how do you preserve the composition for durability, and the plastic doesn't affect the composition. Yeah. And you know, I asked, I said, so was this, you know, how was this built? And you guys are injection molding. Yep. And so there's no metal, and there is no metal. It's all gaskets and whatnot, and yep. machining and plastic. Well, you know, and, and for for uh, a location that's using that particular device. What's the durability of the device? How long does it last? So we've had a proven shelf life of five years on this. Um, okay. Because it's a standard, we're, we're interested in not trying to make it last forever because then it increases as a manufactured product the likelihood that it may have a problem. And then if you're a standards company, you can't have that problem at all. Yeah. And so what we're actually doing is we're developing a software platform to be able to rapidly analyze this and keep track of the daily data and make it as easy for the MRI tech to do the analysis each day, just plug and play, put it in, run the, run the protocols, and then get a report out that says, you're okay to scan today. And we were looking at packaging that up as a service and the product all Are you going to get the data back? Uh, yes, so it, it's a server that we have uh, hosted on the cloud. Okay. And the idea would be that we would get the data back. Um, we would we would know about the data. Um, yeah, that would be really good. You know, not only from just compliance with you know, and you, you know, you're coming to the end of the life of that particular device, but also, you know, what's the variability across the universe? Yes. On on the machinery. Right. And, know, and so when you think about big data science and uh, and companies that are trying to mine. Uh, data that's image data. Well, you you need to, even though artificial intelligence and the computers uh, can find some answer, you should at least make sure they're finding the exact answer on a known physical standard that's in that group. Well, otherwise, you just have you know, the the quality of your data is suspect. Yes. If it's not at standard. Yes. You know, and we were talking even before. So you've got this large machine, and you're you're you know a radiologist or or a number of practices, and you get your software upgrade package, which makes anybody or everybody should cringe. 
you know, because you just don't know what you have. And we talked a little bit, what's some of the experiences that you've seen from folks doing software upgrades? We've had customers call us and tell us there's something wrong with our product. And we say, no, there's nothing wrong with the product. Send us the image data. And there's a halo of a, of a rectangle in the image. And we trace it back to the, um, the software and how the software was seaming together the data from the different channels that it was looking at. And so it literally was a software. And when we told them to just click one button off to turn something off, it went away. There's a hint. Yeah. You know, and as you think about the acceptance and feedback from the current users, what's the biggest misconception that your current users had of this particular technology? The biggest misconception is that the data coming from the MRI is always the same day-to-day and from site-to-site, and it's not. You know, and, and you think about practically speaking, you know, like the tolerance on a car motor, at 10,000 miles is not the same at 100,000 miles. And you think, well, why would you expect a piece of machinery, like an MRI, to be consistent day in and day out? I mean, it seems strange to me. Yeah. So for you, you know, shifting gears again, so you're now in fundraise. Yes. You have a, a broad acceptance of your technology. What's next? Uh, well, when we get that funding in, it'll be hiring more people to really hit the ground running on developing the applications and getting one minimum viable product out there to to the diagnostic market to eliminate variability in the diagnosis. Okay. And that's that's our our goal is really to stop that first problem and then our second goal is that would reduce variability in just what the anatomy looks like for those images. But then the ultimate goal is to get those images to have numbers associated with them, much like a blood panel where you have numbers that it says are normal and then it compares what your blood number is. Mm -hmm. And so if we could then take image data and say, here's the anatomy and then here's your tumor and we're showing that 80% of it is dead and 20% of it is alive and it's dying, Mm -hmm. you know, because we have numbers that tell us that. That's our end goal, is to enable that technology. In the hoping, dreaming space, how long down the road do you think that will be? It's hard to predict, but definitely in my lifetime. <laughs> okay. And definitely, you know, within, there's already some people using those numbers, mm-hmm. for example, to, do, to stage prostate cancer. Okay. So we're, we're really trying to target those people and try to make sure their numbers are as accurate as possible and get our product to that. So it could be within the next few years as well, depending. You know, so for, for the, the folks out there, they're going to go, well, you know, I want to make sure I want to go someplace that has this technology. And so it's, their chances of finding this technology are greater at the big research hospitals. Yeah. Than mm-hmm. it is than your small local. It is. Yeah. Exactly. But like one of our goals is to really try to see if there's a payer out there willing to work together with us mm-hmm. and and have it accepted in a health system, the entire health system. So um, that would be the best for us because then we could get to those small um, hospitals faster. You know, and you talk about the 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 process to acceptance by a healthcare system. You know, how do you see that transpiring? You know, what's their thought process and what do they need to see in order for them to go, yeah, we need to do this? Well, they always need to see that they're not wasting money on unnecessary diagnostics, on um, repeat scans, on 
diagnostic variability. If we can show that we reduce their costs there, if we reduce any healthcare costs, mm-hmm. then that's that's sort of the driving yeah. factor. You know, and, and I think about you know the things that drive that that insight. You know, is gathering the data, being able to take and verify that you can say, you know, you don't need to do that extra one because you don't need to do another one because your machine is out of sync. If you put it in sync, it'll reduce the number of these that you do again by this. Mm-hmm. That would seem to be apparent to me. Is it that they don't see her, or you just it's just not enough data yet to demonstrate that? It's not enough data to demonstrate that. So yeah. we're really looking at a pilot study okay. on a wide health system. And one of our grants that we applied for through the National Institute of Health is specifically to look at 25 different sites and accumulate some data from that. Okay. And so we're we've created the product. We've shown um, you know that that it has enabled researchers to do a lot of new and exciting things. For example, reducing scan times from 45 minutes down to five minutes. And so our next step is, well, we've enabled the research community, so now we have to enable something in the in the diagnostic community. Mm-hmm. And so that's it's really, once we're done fundraising, we're going to be going towards that application. As you were thinking about, or we were chatting before, and said this company was spun out. And so... Take us to that thought process between, you know, this was being put together inside and then there was a decision to spin it out and go, there's a company in here. What was that decision like? Uh, It was basically seeing that there is a a larger market for this than any other product line that that our parent company, High Precision Devices, had. And it was also related to the medical industry, which nothing else that we do is. So it requires things like ISO 13485 certification, you know, CE marking. There's a lot more regulation associated in that uh, realm. So we realized that we wouldn't want to put that uh, onerous of a, of a um, task onto the entire company because okay. it's not necessary and mm-hmm. it's not cost effective. And so that was a primary driving factor for spinning it off and also fundraising. So we can yeah. we yes. can have people happy that they're not they're not owning high precision devices but they're actually owning sure. Caliber MD. What are you hearing from the potential investors? Are they what's their typical response or commentary? They're excited um, about the technology and typically the the investors we've been speaking to want us to be further along uh, than we are, which is you know always the case, and uh, it's understandable. So really, we're kind of limited to the sort of accredited angel investor, mm-hmm. um, and so there aren't as many avenues that way as there are, mm-hmm. you know. And so you're everything right now, right? CEO, CFO, everything else. Well, so we have. I'm not the CFO. (laughs) (laughs) I do. uh, I do a lot of the sales and marketing. I do the research and development, writing of the grants, um, project management of the grants, marketing, um, and yeah, that's that's plenty. I luckily have help in the manufacturing end. I have dedicated um, staff that put these uh, together. And uh, and I have access, you know, to engineers for refinements through HPD still, and they have been uh, a tremendously great resource. Um, and so we have a slightly different business model in in terms of that is, you know, we spin it off, and but we can still use the resources of HPD. So I still use, you know, all the, you know, I still know everybody, the purchasing department, and so I don't do everything, everything. <laughs> I just do sort of that specific to this product mm-hmm. line stuff. Um, you know, and, and for some of the folks listening, you know, I have this idea, 
And then all of a sudden, your idea comes to fruition. And so you're sitting here day two after the spin out. What was that thought process like day one being the CEO of Caliber MD? It didn't hit. I just kept thinking, you know, this is what I have to do. Like what I have, I don't think about the titles as much as I think about the tasks that need to get done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've got to pick this up. I have to sweep that up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah, that does not change as the owner for sure. <laughs> yeah. So you know, and, and you know, to kind of bring this to a close, we've we've been at this for a while. How many of these types of units are out there on the planet right now? So we have about a hundred and fifty units out there. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so, which is 150 different sites mm -hmm. throughout the world. Uh, we're in Europe, uh, South America, Australia, uh, Japan, Korea, China. You know, before I forget, so somebody says, I need to know more. How do they find you? What's the best way to find you? Well, you can contact us through our website, which is www.caliber-md.com. And caliber is spelled a little funny. It's Q-A-L-I. B-R-E-M-D.com. All right. And so that, I, I was on the site, and uh, you can see closer some of the devices, you know, and that's kind of cool. You know, it's, it's a, a pleasure, and, you know, you're very generous with your time, and I appreciate it. I appreciate your time and your patience. <laughs> Thanks very much. <laughs>